Hey friends, Mariah Keener here, the Director of Art and Worship at South Bend City Church. We are in the second week of a six-week series on how to live as neighbors, based off of Shannon Martin's upcoming book called Start With Hello. Last week, we had the chance to hear from and learn from Shannon, as well as our very own Beth Graybill. And for the rest of May, we will hear from either or both of them, as well as a few other people in our community that neighbor really well. It probably became apparent last week that Shannon is an expert in living as a good neighbor. In fact, anyone that has written three books on anything automatically gets that title, but I would argue that Beth is an expert in her own right. See, I moved here last fall from Pennsylvania, which is where I was born and raised and where I started my career. I moved to South Bend barely knowing anyone, and I moved for this job. And to be honest, it's really hard to think of people who have been more of a neighbor to me than Beth whether it was being the first person I saw when I got out of the moving truck or her inviting me to her son's hockey games so I could get out of my house and into the community, or there was even this one time that I texted her in full panic mode about this big life change, and several hours later she showed up to my house with dinner from this great local place called Fiddler's Hearth, and we just sat in my living room and talked and cried and laughed together. Beth has always been a person who sees and knows and pays attention to people. She's been one of the best neighbors to me, and so I'm so excited for you to hear what she has to say today. Thanks, Mariah. That was really beautiful. And now you all know that my secret is, um, if you're looking for comfort food, go to Fiddler's Hearth, right? You heard that story. I'm so glad I get to neighbor with you, Mariah. So we're in week two of a sermon series on how to live as neighbors. And this series is called Start With Hello because it comes from author Shannon Martin's next book, Um, called Start With Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as Neighbors. And this really is a treat for us to get to talk through, wrestle through this book content because Shannon's book comes out in October. And last week, for those of you, if you weren't here, Shannon talked about how this book comes from a very faith-informed perspective, but it's not a faith, a book about faith. It really is a book about um, simple ways that we can learn to love one another and live as neighbors. And so last we talked about paying attention and Shannon shared how um, she frequently takes pictures of the sky. She showed us pictures of her neighborhood alley because for her, when she takes pictures of the sky or her alley, it reminds her of the people and the places that are in proximity under that big sky. And so we had this, um, we're ending each of these weeks in this series with the practice and the practice last week was to encourage you all to do the same, to take a picture of the sky or do whatever um, is, helps you be mindful to pay attention. And it was fun to see some of you posting this past week about your pictures of the sky or your pictures of your everyday life. Um, after the gathering, you know, the, the conversation Shannon and I had um, was, you know, we weren't quite sure everything that we were going to say. And so I started to think about my own experiences of paying attention in life. And it took me back to an experience about 13 years ago. Matt and I were living in a small community called Mannheim. And um, Matt was a pastor. Matt's my husband. He was a pastor at a local church. And this local church, as most local churches do, decided they were going to pick a day to do good in our community, right? Um, And so they actually put an ad in the paper for people to respond to the ad if people had like Uh, yard work or housework that they needed help with. They could fill out this form on the ad. They could submit it to the church. And then Matt paired um, these requests with small groups in the community, small groups, we call them tables here at South Bend City Church. And so there was an overabundance of these ads that came in. And one day Matt came home and he said, you're never going to guess what happened today. 
He said, I got a request from a woman named Elaine, and Elaine wrote on her form that her hand was that her hands were um, misshaped due to arthritis, and she had a hard time doing some really basic things like changing light bulbs and taking her trash from her house to the curb. And um, Elaine lived at 154 North Laurel Street, and we lived at 178 North Laurel Street, which meant Elaine was our neighbor because the house numbers went by fours or sixes, and she lived three doors down from us. And we didn't know that there was this woman living three doors down from us who had these very basic needs um, of just, like, needing help changing a light bulb. So Matt, you know, decided, hey, we'll take care of this as a family. And we got to know Elaine. We changed light bulbs in her home, which actually made a world of difference, you guys. She was living in a house that was pretty dark because of that. And her trash had um, piled up for a long time because she needed help getting it to the curb. So we got to know Elaine over the years. She got to know us. And we did this um, thing of how to live as neighbors, right? Last week, Shannon made it very clear, like, this is not about neighboring. People don't want to be neighbored. Um, we want to learn to how to live as neighbors. This is reciprocal. There's a give and take here in this whole idea of paying attention. So as we um, paid attention to Elaine, then we started paying attention to the other people who lived right around us between our house and Elaine's house. And on either side of our house, houses um, were um, Reba on one side and John and Oli on the other side. And they were both original owners of these homes that were built in the 1950s in this community. And so they had seen a lot of change over the years. Reba, back in the heyday, had beautiful red hair, like Lucille Ball-style red hair, that in her later years, she dyed a really fun purple color. And so our boys knew her as the neighbor with purple hair, and she loved that. She also had a really unique view from her backyard windows. Our boys got into a lot of mischief behind this tree because they knew we couldn't see what was going on behind the tree. But Reba could see what was going on behind the tree. <laughs> so there'd be a lot of times where stories would trickle out over times of things that our boys were doing behind the tree with the neighbor kids. You know, just like whatever they were doing. Looking for leprechauns was a big thing back in the day. Um, all these fun things. So anyway, there was Reba. And on the other side was, were John and Oli. John and Oli were in their late 80s. They had been married 70 years. They got married in their teenage years. John had actually served in World War II, and he um, tells this fantastic story. John served in the army in World War II, and when his unit landed in Europe, um, they were setting up camp, and the commander of his unit um, remembered that John was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and so he said, Larker, which was John's last name, Larker, you're from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, right? And John said, yes, sir, I am. And his commander said, do you know how to bake? And John said, yes, sir, I do. Because he could remember watching his mom bake an apple pie in the kitchen. And so John became the baker of his unit in World War II um, as he served in the military. They had such interesting stories. And then across the street from John and Oli were Carol and Tom. And Carol and Tom, they were grand. Uh, grandparents, but they were still working full-time. Their kids had lived far away. They became fast, quick neighbors. Carol was also the kind of neighbor who knew when there was a package at our front door before we knew there was a package at our front door, you know? And I, and I was home for a few of those years with my kids. She was also the neighbor that was quick to call and say, hey, you left your garage door open again, right? I would do that like overnight or as we were going to and from work, we would leave our garage door. As we left for vacation, we would leave our garage door open just because we were like more focused on loading up all the things in the car and getting the kids in the car and we leave our garage door open. So Carol was one of those neighbors for us, and we got to know her pretty well. And then across the street from us, next to Carol and Tom, 
were Kathy and John. Do you guys ever have those neighbors who have really loud family discussions on the front lawn? Like, that was Kathy and John. And at first we're like, are they arguing? Do we need to step over there? Is everything okay? And then we just realized, like, no, they're okay to just, like, have it out on the front lawn, you know? And, And sometimes their regular conversation was just a little bit more animated than we were used to. But we got a little bit of a, of a cold shoulder from them. Over time, as we got to know Kathy and John, we realized why. Kathy was in her early 50s, and yet she still carried a lot of church hurt, church trauma. Kathy grew up in a family where, as a young child, her mom had an affair with the priest in their church, and her family had been excommunicated from church. And she had lived her entire life of 50-plus years um, Leery of pastors and priests and people who were involved in church and people who were a part of church. She hadn't stepped into a church since then. And yet when we got to know her, we knew that she was longing to be a part of a faith community. She just didn't think she belonged. And so when Kathy heard that a pastor and his family were the ones living across the street, well, of course we would get the cold shoulder from her until we got to know her. Right? So as we started to pay attention to our neighbors, we realized they had already been paying attention to each other, and they started paying attention to us too. They were the first people to come to our rescue when Tropical Storm Sandy ripped through. It flooded our basement. Matt had just refinished our basement. It flooded everything. We had to gut it, take everything out. Um, They were, in addition to our families, they were the first people to respond and help us. They dropped off pizzas. So we had something to eat. They let us use their trash because we had already exceeded the trash limit in our own um, trash receptacles. They paid attention to us. We didn't just pay attention to them. But as we paid attention, we started to realize that there was more attention to be paid. Meaning, we all look the same in that neighborhood. We were all white, Protestant, working class And so while it was really great to pay attention to our neighbors, we realized we were missing voices and perspectives and experiences that were not represented in our neighborhood. And so paying attention in our neighborhood meant that we had to start paying attention to our broader community as we neighbored with other people, right? Last week, we talked about how neighboring um, or neighbors aren't just the people that we live next to. They're the people that we rub shoulders with, the people that we're in proximity with on a daily basis. So for some of you, um, that is, that means it's your coworkers. It means it's your classmates, your teammates. It means the students that you're teaching. Um, who are you in proximity with a fair amount of your time? Those are your neighbors. Those are your neighbors. And so as we started paying attention, they started paying attention to us and we realized that we needed to pay attention beyond those spaces as well. So what I love about our community is that we're an honest community. And last week, after Shannon and I talked about this idea of paying attention, that it's a really important practice for how to live as neighbors, um, I heard from several of you after the gathering. And I heard a few stories that went like this. One of you sent me a text, and you said, um, Hey, loved what you and Shannon had to share today. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on neighboring because I live next to my aging parents. Right? He was like essentially being like, I've got a lot of thoughts. And I thought, you know, if his aging parents were here, they probably would have a lot of thoughts about living next to their grown son, right? Um, So you have your own thoughts about what it looks like to live as neighbors. There was um, 
One of you told me a story about how after the gathering, the person sitting next to you or near you leaned over and introduced yourselves to them um, and said, hi, neighbor, you know, because you were sitting near each other in church. And here, the person who introduced themselves courageously admitted that they had started coming shortly before COVID and hadn't really had a chance to get plugged into our community. So they didn't really know people, you know, they were showing up since we've opened back up and yet um, they would come and go and didn't really know very many people from this community. And so they saw each other as neighbors. And then one of you also shared a story with me. Um, You came up to me afterwards and said, hey, Beth, I'm really encouraged by what you guys had to share. I just moved into a new neighborhood. This is uh, something I'm going to be mindful of as I'm interacting with people. She said, but it also made me think about growing up, this idea of neighboring growing up. She said, we were the black family living in a white neighborhood, and we were really good neighbors but nobody wanted to be neighbors to us. And it made me think, neighboring is hard, you guys. Living as neighbors is really hard. And I think what we've experienced the last few years in particular, there's a lot of polarizing, a lot of politicizing going on. You know, we've been social distancing from one another. And things like messy relationships and wondering, like, how close or how far do we come um, to each other, things like racism, those are still real things that we're dealing with in our everyday lives. And so we can talk about how to live as neighbors. We can talk about paying attention. But it's still hard, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about leaning in when it's hard in light of living as neighbors. And so that brings me to the story of the Good Samaritan, which goes something like this from Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, meaning Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, this is Jesus, which of these three do you think was a, good, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story like a thousand times, right? 
Um, I think for most of us, even if we haven't grown up in church, we still heard this story. I mean, think about how many medical complexes or hospitals are named the Good Samaritan, right? This story is a story that a lot of us have heard before. And yet when we look closely at this story, I think there are some nuances that have been missed in the way we've talked about this story in the past. And I just want to wrestle through some of those with you all today and work some of those out, right? Practices, not performances. So we're just going to wrestle some of these things out. First, it's really interesting that um, this expert in the law is not named. He's not identified as part of a group. Um, and Jesus is speak- in this story, it's Jesus is speaking to an expert in the law. Uh, I think that also Jesus is speaking to his first century Jewish audience. And while he doesn't outright say this, I think the real question he's asking everyone who has, who's listening is, which one are you? Are you the priest and the Levite? Are you the good Samaritan? Are you the man in the ditch? And so a lot of us hear this story and we're like, okay, we get it, right? Like, don't be the priest and the Levite. Be the good Samaritan. We get it. Um, There are also some people who have used this passage to discriminate against our Jewish brothers and sisters in a way to say like, oh, Christians are better, right? Christians are better than Jews at, at being good neighbors, Um, There are also some misreadings of this passage. People make it about purity rites, saying like, oh, well, the the priest and the Levite, they actually couldn't respond to the man in the ditch because of purity rites. But if you do a little um, digging, if you dig a little deeper, you find out like that's not what's going on here. They simply just did not obey Jewish law. And Jewish law was to respond to someone in need. If you came across someone who was um, half dead, maybe unconscious, conscious, whatever, Under law, you were required to respond to this person. And I think Jesus is saying, so which one are you? Which one are you? Now, in the work that I do every, in my everyday life, I'm a consultant and a storyteller. And so as a storyteller, I help other people tell their stories. And I'm always interested in a good cast of characters, right? Like every good story has an amazing cast of characters. And so when I read this passage, that's what I'm drawn to this cast of characters. And I think um, we're going to just look through this cast of characters this morning as we talk about this passage. So first there's the expert in the law, right? He's not named. He's not identified. He and Jesus have this conversation where he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then they go on and he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is him flexing his muscles like, I know, I know the law. I know the Old Testament. And then Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the man, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The fact that he wanted to justify himself makes me wonder, like, well, first of all, I think, was this just this man and Jesus kind of sparring back and forth, like, wink, wink, let's teach the people who are listening about what it means to be a good neighbor in our exchange here? That was just part of a good Jewish public discourse, this testing and this probing, right? So maybe they're sparring. Maybe this man, like I said, is flexing his knowledge, his Old Testament knowledge, Um, maybe he's actually really disappointed with how Jesus responds to him. 
And so he has to clarify to justify himself. Have you ever been in contact with someone you really admire and you ask them a question and they answer it, but they don't quite answer it the way you wanted them to answer it. And then you feel like you have to justify yourself either so they understand you or so you get the answer that you want. And so he clarifies and he asks, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Um, New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine says that this question, who is my neighbor, um, by the expert in the law, is actually this man asking, who isn't my neighbor? Who don't I have to love? Who don't I have to pay attention to when it comes to basic needs like food and shelter and safety? Essentially, like, who can I hate? Who can I other? That, that, that maybe that's actually what this question, who is my neighbor, is getting at. Like, who is not my neighbor? Because this person wants to know who he can focus on, who's in and who's out. And in first century Jewish audience, Jews were in and Samaritans were out. So then the next cast of characters we see is this man in the ditch, Right? Uh, the, the text does not say that he's a Jewish man, and yet Jesus is teaching to a Jewish audience, and he does not call out the identity of this man. So it's pretty safe to assume that he probably is also a first century Jew. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And I read that, and I think, gosh, can you imagine how vulnerable he must have felt? Right? If I um, had that kind of experience and was laying naked by the roadside, I would be really embarrassed if one of you found me that way. There'd be a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment over not only the state that you found me in, but also the help that I needed from you. And so we know this man in the ditch is there not on his own doing, but because he's been robbed and beaten half to death. And he's in a really vulnerable state. I remember hearing um, Jason tell a story one time. Jason's our lead pastor. He told a story about a firefighter friend. And I know that there are several police officers and firefighters here in our community. But Jason told a story about how he spent a day with a firefighter. And what the firefighter said was, um, what strikes me the most about the work that I do is that we show up when people are most vulnerable. Right? When they respond to a 911 call, it's because something tragic or traumatic has happened and they're responding. Uh, it's interesting, the word wounds in that passage actually translates in Greek as traumata, which is trauma. This man had experienced a trauma. And here was someone responding to him in his greatest need without his clothes on. And then we encounter the priests and the Levite. They're the next two cast of characters who see this man, but they actually cross over to the other side. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. First, the priest and the Levite. It makes me wonder, like, why did they cross to the other side? If it's not about purity rights, as some people say, why did they cross to the other side? Was it out of their own fear? Um, was it too bothersome? Was it too messy? 
They knew, they are teachers of the law. They are religious authority of the day. They knew that they were not obeying the law by crossing the road to the other side. So why did they? Did they think they were going to get away with it because of their status, because of their place? And then we see the Samaritan who responds to the man in the ditch. Uh, what's really interesting about Samaritans in the day is Jews, Samaritans were not liked by the Jews, obviously. That's why this story is so powerful. That's why when Jesus tells this story, it sends a shockwave um, throughout the people who are listening to him because Jesus is telling this story to a first century Jewish audience and the hero of the story is a Samaritan, someone who was despised in that community. Samaritans were actually the original habit inhabitants of the land where everyone was living. And so they saw themselves as part of that community. They knew Jewish law, but the first century Jews did not acknowledge the Samaritans who were part of that community. And so it makes me think, okay, is this good Samaritan? Is he responding out of a response to the law? Or is he just a really loving person? Um, or... Is there a need for him to overperform to some degree? Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually talked about this sermon in, or this parable in his very last sermon that he gave the day before he was assassinated. And this is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had to say. He said, I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible these men were afraid. And so the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will become of our bloodstained neighbor if we choose to pass by instead? King went on. If I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? What will happen to them? These were King's words the day before he died as he spoke about the good Samaritan. And so we go back to this good Samaritan and we think, okay, he knew the law, right? Um, maybe he was a really loving person, but maybe he also had to overperform, outperform because as a Samaritan, he was part of people who were marginalized in that community, and I've heard from a lot of my friends who um, are not part of the dominant culture of the day who tell me stories about how they've had to overperform or outperform to be recognized by the dominant community. You know, there are stories of women in our community who have told me that they've had to outperform their male counterparts at work because um, that was how they had to uh, be noticed and get the same responsibilities or the same kind of compensation. There are a lot of families in our community who are raising their kids to be good, kind, strong, wise kids. And yet because of the color of their skin, they're also raising their kids to obey every traffic law, to keep their hands on the steering wheel at all times, and to keep their hands out of their pockets when they walk through a store. So that leaves no room for error for someone to accuse them of doing something that they have not done. And so I think, what if the Samaritan, what if he was actually overperforming because it was what it took? He, there was no room for error for him. He could not be like a priest or a Levite who chose to ignore the situation and just move on. The circumstances or the outcome would have been different for him. They would have been different for him.
And then I think the unsuspecting character in this story is the audience. Uh, I imagine that they were just as surprised to listen to this story because here Jesus is talking to this first century Jewish audience and the Samaritan is a hero. And I come back to um, this question that I think Jesus is asking them is, which one are you? Which one are you? And Jesus not only is asking, which one are you? But he's telling them, go and do likewise. Like, go and do like, your Samar- like the Samaritan, your enemy. Go and do like your enemy. Could you imagine? I'm sure that ruffled a lot of feathers in that audience. And so my challenge to all of us this morning is to think about, like, which character are we? Which character are you? Are you like the priest and the Levite? where you see someone in their vulnerability and because of maybe your fear or because it seems bothersome or because it's too messy, you would rather turn a blind eye and walk away? Or are you like the Good Samaritan? Whether it's um, out of response to the law, maybe you want to be a good citizen, a response to love, maybe you're a really loving person and you're just, you live your life other-centered Or maybe it's because you find yourself in some ways um, feeling or being marginalized and you have this need, this impulse to overperform or outperform so that you're recognized by the people around you. Which character are you? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in the Good Samaritan. And I think that there are probably a lot of different interpretations, right? Those of you who have taught this passage before, you could stand up here and say different things. But when I read this passage, this is what comes alive for me. And this is what challenges me. Like, which person am I? And so back to our original question of, like, how do we lean in when it's hard? And I think the answer from this story is we show mercy. We show mercy. Mercy is how we lean in when it's hard. Mercy is also one of those words that can be a little bit ambiguous in the way we define it. So if you just popped the word mercy into your um, Google search or whatever, this is what you would find. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And I might add like, or to marginalize, right? And so we lean in when it's hard by showing mercy. Uh, Every week we are ending with um, a practice, a weekly practice that we're encouraging you all to do. And so my encouragement to you this week is to lean in with mercy. Lean in with mercy. And I think it's really important that you name it. Like maybe some of us need to name that we've been like the priests and the Levite and we have not leaned in with mercy. We have turned a blind eye to the people around us who feel like they are naked and left by the side of the road. Because of our fear, because it feels bothersome, because it's too messy. So we need to name it. And then I want you to think about, is mercy something that you need to give or receive? Right? Because how to live as neighbors, this is a two-way street. This is us, not us neighboring. Not us being good Christians and and, um, going and doing everything for everyone around us. This is us also being willing to receive mercy in our most vulnerable state. And then I'm going to encourage you to map it out. 
right? Some of us actually need a physical, tangible reminder of the people around us. And so whether it's your workspace, your dorm, your actual neighborhood, wherever you spend most of your time, draw a little map and write people's names down of the people who are nearby you. And then pay attention to that map as you're mindful to name it and to give it or receive it. And I think that's how we can lean in when it's hard. So South Bend City Church, as you think about this idea of how to live as neighbors, may you have the courage this week to lean in when it's hard. May you choose to see beauty in the differences of the people around you. May you choose complexity over comfort. And may you know that God is with you, that God is within you. And that we get to um, not only die into the kingdom of heaven, but we actually get to awaken into the kingdom of heaven in this life. That's what we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so may grace and peace be with you and also with you. Thanks, guys. Next week, Shannon Martin will be back with us and a member of our own community, Stephanie Steele, for conversation on how to listen. Have a great week.